This morning's reading will be 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. I'll give you a second to turn there. First Peter 1, beginning in verse 14. The word of God says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. God, we praise you because you are a holy God. You are worthy of praise. I pray this morning as Pastor Adam would come and preach your word, you would open our hearts to receive of it. That we would understand what it means that we worship a holy God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, um, I, before getting started on the text this morning, I was back and forth on uh, what to preach this morning, just due to the events um, at the Capitol that everyone is aware of and everyone's talking about on social media. Uh, and so, what I thought is I, I feel it would be appropriate to continue with First Peter, but I do want to make just kind of a public service announcement. Um, by way of, I, I, it, we, ha we have a, a, an interesting point in time in, in our country, right? Um, we've gone through, we're like in this super weird COVID thing. Um, and then you add to that the exacerbated feelings through the summer um, and, and the rioting and people losing their minds. And, and we have a whole, a whole um, sector of our society, right, uh, 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 friends, colleagues, um, loved ones, uh, that, that are on one side feel that they no longer believe in systems, right, judiciaries, uh, 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 investigations, local policing, um, uh, juries that are selected of their peers, evidence that comes out, and then finally verdicts. We, we, there's a whole, right, large group of population that is in that. There's another then equally large group, or whatever the metrics are, I don't know, just, but we witnessed on TV that there's a parallelism, right, to another big swath of our population who likewise is beginning to completely not believe in systems of governance. Uh, now, their, their, their grievance might be a different angle, right? One grievance is uh, on, on maybe crime and punishment and, and housing, and another group is over here on elections and fraud disbelieving councils, FBI, uh, the election boards, uh, secretaries of state, and then we had this kind of weird um, mob that moved into a riot and then stormed the Capitol building. But, but if you look at them, there are large parallels uh, to them. Large groups of, of neighbors, friends, family, uh, folks that we otherwise live next to, many, who no longer have faith in whatever element they don't have faith in, in systems of governance, the rule of law. That has led to a huge frustration, right? Because both sides uh, in our cultural climate, in our moment that we share in, both sides have the same fundamental grievance, their voice is not being heard, right? So you have this, this sense of, I, I, want to, I want to somehow let those at power know I'm not being heard. So we have this huge group, right, that no longer feels they're being heard. 
I, I, one of the things that, again, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but one of the things I wanted to perhaps address this for is because evangelicals, um, those who would consider themselves evangelical, um, are largely kind of connected mostly through the testimony of evangelicals or Christians or those who would uh, use the name of Christ in a part of identity are largely by statistical proportion connected mostly with what we saw this week. Just if you were to weigh out uh, where is the name of Christ being um, uh, magnified or connected, it would be largely out of what we saw this week. So I just thought, well, maybe... Um, we're susceptible to some of those instincts as well. Not sure, but I just thought, oh, I, wanna, I, I, I hope that we as Redeemer Community Church, those of us um, who indeed are Christian by confession, uh, we, we still have a measure of, of thoughtfulness about us, that we're not getting carried away in either zeitgeist, either extreme, but we're trying to be thoughtful about all of it. I was thinking, man, we really need to go back to think about October 25th sermon. Not because it's phenomenal. I'm simply saying because there's exegesis there that we need to think through. We, we need to have that in our mind. I wanted to go back over it today, but I, I think we'll just proceed. I, I want you, if you're thinking, right, there was flags that said things like, and this is why it's kind of more connected to the church, because there's flags there that were distinct from flags that were burning police cars. There, there's a distinction there, and there's some connectivity to the church, broadly speaking, to the events that were this week. Things like Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president. These kind of things, like that connects church and state in a way that you may be uncomfortable with. You may be very comfortable with. You, 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 it, so I would just say all together, there was a bad look for the church so far as it was connected to the events. The only reason I say that is because I'm not trying to tell you my politics. I'm saying because we just need to think through and be thoughtful on what Paul said as we reviewed it, hopefully, helpfully, and thoroughly. Romans 12 and Romans 13. This still has to be on our mind. A, a, a short, for instance, if we felt the church, individuals, by conscience sake. I'm not your conscience, and I, I hope to lay things to your conscience as your minister, but, but, I, but I can't just simply, by what I say with you on observation, bind your conscience to it. But I would say this, as far as we think through, like the look of the church and, and, and the, the work of Christ's kingdom and the ministry of the church as a spiritual kingdom and the spiritual doctrines of the church and the distinction between the church and the state, as we have already reviewed, I would just say, if you felt as a believer and you're engaged in some of these microcosmic conversations online and you're thinking about where you land in some of your cultural moment, I, I, this is obvious to all of us. We're in a, quite a moment together, quite a moment. So wherever you find yourselves in the moment and you're in your online community and talking with family and friends and things, I would just say one small piece we would have to follow up on from Romans 12 and 13, right? It, whether it's mask wearing, where we're like, okay, I'm over it. I'm not doing it anymore. Okay, okay. But just, or if it's, there's an election stolen. Or if it's like, the policing is out of control. Wherever, wherever we're going to, if it, before we take to the streets, and we go in bringing mayhem and rebellion to the rule of law, and we do so as Christians, I would say first, as you're thinking through this, you may have a principled disagreement or grievance you would like to file. 
I would just say, given our providence in the United States of America, you have a measure of the rule of law to live within and make those appeals. I mentioned the guys at Calvin Club. Before civil disobedience took physical activity, no matter what it was, the best thing you could do is start appealing to your lesser magistrates. If you feel like something is not passing a sniff test, you feel like something is brutality, you feel like something is unfair as far as housing or, 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 or any other number of political thing we're facing, write, take the pen. We have a great structure here in the rule of law in the United States. Take that opportunity to make those appeal. Follow that progression. Don't get swelled up into a zeitgeist. Illusions of populist revolts against the government or that burning down cars or wrecking businesses will get the needle moved or storming the Capitol and doing what you do there will actually move the needle toward freedom. Just think on these things. Think on them. The news media doesn't want you thinking on them. They want you caught up into the energy swell and acting out. That's not who we are as people of God. That's not who we even need to type to be as the people of God. Just in real life, be thoughtful and prayerful. If you're, again, wrestling with some of these things, and how do I fit in a political theology as a Christian, just go back to October 25th. It's online. And again, not because there's something profound there, but because there's exegesis there you need to think through. You need to think through it and lay it to conscience. This morning, however, I want to draw your attention to Peter's use of Leviticus 19.2 in his text here on the ethics of Christian behavior. Again, there's some overlap here, but the point this morning is more toward uh, Peter's use and what that means for us as Christians of Leviticus 19.2. I'll read the text for you of verse 15 and 16, and, and you'll see the argumentation as it appears. And then that's where you'll find yourself in this text. And I just say, lay this text. Indeed, the text does bind your conscience. So, so let's wrestle with this together. Look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since, now, now pay attention to the grammar, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, the critical piece there is you're thinking, okay, since, Peter is asking you, I'm asking you in your conduct, in the way that you behave, I'm saying to you, you need to be holy in conduct. And you're asking yourself, but why? Why must I be holy since you're in relation to one who is holy? Be holy for I am holy. But the question then perhaps is worth considering from a doctrinal standpoint this morning for the next few moments. The question about that is what does it mean that God is holy? Right? So Peter's telling you, I'm asking, you need to be holy in your conduct. Since you know this, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So you see the entire way of your pursuit of holiness is the fact of God's holiness. 
So then the question comes back, and perhaps some could define it, some could not. Some, perhaps we can just improve upon our definition. Is the question, if my behavior is built upon the premise of God's essence as holy, the question is, what does holy mean? What does it mean that God is holy? One Christian author makes this comment, and it's rather... Um, uh, it can't be overstated, but if you were to simply read it, you'd say perhaps it is overstated, but it isn't. Therefore, please lay it to your mind. One Christian author writes this, I am convinced, and, and it's a good summary statement of not just his own convinced mind, but of Christian theology as an entire discipline. I am convinced that it is one of the most important ideas that a Christian can ever grapple with. So, so perhaps you're like, I've thought about this a lot. Maybe you're saying, I haven't thought about this much at all. Or it seems ambiguous. I'm not sure how to define it. Then great, we're set about the task that this author, and again, the summary of Christian doctrine say, is most important idea that a Christian can, not sometimes, but he says, ever grapple with. It's basic to our whole understanding of God and of Christianity as a whole. So, if understanding holiness is indeed basic to our whole understanding of God and our entire pilgrim's journey as believers walking this life through faith and the time that is passing away, if it is basic to our understanding of God and our entire pilgrim's journey, then we need to ask this morning and also answer what it means for God to be holy. Let me read that text for you again, and you'll see the relation. Um, and, and I'll jump up just for a moment um, to verse 14. But again, I want you to see the relation, the causal relation of your pursuit of holiness as obedient children. Now, again, he's calling you obedient children because uh, you were birthed into his family in verse 3. A according to his great mercy, he caused you to be born again. Um, you, you, were, you were birthed into a living hope. So now that you've been birthed into the family of God by the person and work of Jesus Christ, as those obedient children know, family members, verse 14, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You were in darkness, now you've been moved to light. You've been birthed into a new family. Instead of that, as he who called you, so what do you mean by called? Well, he birthed me. He called me into his family. So based on his call, he who called you is holy, okay? Then you also be holy. In, what matter, in all your conduct. What is the grounds that gives me such a pursuit? Well, because it is written, or since it is written. This is fact. He, you shall be holy, for, upon the grounds, I am holy. You see, Peter makes very clear the grounds of our active pursuit of holiness is God's own holy essence. When you think of the essence of God, which is a hard thing to kind of wrap your mind around, God as being. You think God is not partly holy, but in his essence, God is holy. That's who he is. Holiness is he. He is holy. Holiness, holiness, says Peter, his holiness, God's holiness, 
defines our pursuit of holiness in our living. Again, why am I to labor in my pursuit of holiness as a thing in my life? Why? And you find a causal relation because God is holy and I belong to him through the new birth. Again, as obedient children, he says. You see, part of the relation of holiness and our pursuit of it, and this kind of comes back to our introductory comments just a little. And again, I won't keep driving into this, into the weeds on this, but but part of what is at stake in our behavior, right, is that we have taken upon ourselves God's name. That, like we, as, we call ourselves Christians. We, we, we're Christ followers. It, it defines us. When we say, who's a Christian? Are you Christian? I'm Christian. But, but what more does that mean? That I've taken the name of Christ. I belong to him. I belong to his community. We, we, we gather on Lord's Day as the people of God, people who belong to God. We have taken his name. This is why Peter says, yes, you have, and that is mercy. It is not binding in a negative. It is a setting free unto pleasure and pursuits of holiness, meaning human flourishing. It's a gift to be called by his name. He said, blessed be, this is why he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What blessing shall we give upon his name? According to his great mercy. What has he done for us but cause us to be born again? You see, it's a mercy to be called Christian. To call ourselves the people of God. And so then he, uh, he calls our, our obedience, verse 14, as obedient what? Children. Those who have taken his name. Well, what does it mean to take the Lord's name? We, did the, we, we preached through this a, a, a long while ago. We worked through Luke's gospel, you remember. And at the very beginning in Luke 1, we see in Luke 149, we are reminded something very distinct about the name of God. While he is being blessed in Luke 1, verse 49, we find out, God's name is very specific. God's name is holy. Now think about the holiness of God's name. So reverenced is his name to be among the nations. I, I, I hope you understand that as well in, in, the, in the thought of uh, taking the Lord's name and now we're moving towards taking his name in vain. When we speak of the Ten Commandments, and if anybody wants to see me after, I have a really good hand uh, 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 pedagogical element to get you through the, all Ten Commandments if anyone asks. You can just, yep, this one. We were working with, it, with the kids. Great. Remember, wh why do I need to learn the Ten Commandments? What does it matter to me as a Christian? Because it's the compass directive for my life of glorifying God. Th th this is the moral fabric of the world. It's not simply ten things Christians need to know. It's what God expects of the world. It's not simply disobedient for us, his people, to take his name and use it in vain manners. It is legislation for the world. They are not, no one, believing or unbelieving, is to take his name in vain. No one. 
We know this. It's simply codified in the Ten Commandments, but it belongs to the legislation of the world. So reverenced is his name to be among the nations that it is absolutely forbidden, not simply of Christians, but of all men in every place to take his name in vain. The third commandment, you're aware of this. A third commandment, by the way, the pedagogical element is this. The third commandment, words. See the W? Words. I'm to be careful about my words. Third commandment is written this way. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You're not to do that. You're not. Your neighbor's not. When you hear it, that's a violation of the God who created this earth. We're here on his terms. We're not to take his name in vain. We're not to do so. Not just us, but all men everywhere. Why not? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It will not be done. Why not? Because the name is holy. What does it mean? Again, further, what, how, do, how do we get clearer definitions on holiness? That God's name, holy is his name. Luke 1, 49. What do we mean of that? Westminster Larger Catechism is helpful here. Hear it in full in the definition of what it means in the third commandment. It means this, quote, his name is not to be profaned or any way abused by us, especially because he will be so far from acquitting and sparing the transgressors of this commandment as that he will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment, albeit many such escape the censures and punishments of men. It goes on in, the, in, in a commentary on the larger catechism in the debates and the conversations that were taking place at Westminster as they wrote this catechism. One of the things I've mentioned before in preaching through the Ten Commandments, one way in which I even instruct my own children, instruct all of us together, adults and young ones alike, a great way to think on how can I take his name in vain on Lord's Day, sit in dull hearing in the preaching of his word. That takes his name which is being proclaimed in vain. Later on in Luke's Gospel, so we went through Luke's Gospels, I mentioned, right through Luke chapter 1. By the time we get to chapter 11, you remember the disciples ask Jesus very particularly as they see him through the course of his ministry. They then ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And you remember the response. We're going back to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. What was it that he said to them in reply? Lord, Teach us, your men, teach us, your church, how to pray. What did he say to them? It was this. When you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Again, holy make your name. Question 122 in the Heidelberg Catechism then asks this question. What does the first request of the Lord's Prayer mean? Heidelberg question 122. What does the first request of the Lord's Prayer mean? Answer. Hallowed be your name means help us to really know you, to bless you, to worship and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, your wisdom, kindness, 
justice, mercy, and truth. And as so far as we're looking at 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter 15 and 16, it also adds, Heidelberg Catechism 122, it also means help us to direct our living. Think about that in the, in the, in the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Again, when you look at it, you're, you're requesting, um, cause your name, which we found out in Luke 149, your name is holy. Cause your name, you are holy, cause your name to be hallowed as holy, to be revered in the earth. It goes along with, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do that here. That's what I'm praying. And in that prayer, it also means, help me to direct all my living, what I think, what I say, and what I do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of me. Did you hear that in Psalm 69? And it's in your bulletin. If you go over it later, it's the same effect. Don't cause your name to be blasphemed because of me. And it means help me to direct all my living, what I think, what I say, and what I do, so that your name, which is holy, will never be blasphemed because of me, but always honored and praised. Now, again, I, I get it that, that things that will take place that are virtuous and godly in front of ungodly individuals within our culture will not simply be praised. They will not be honored, right? They'll, they'll, be, they'll, be, they'll be mocked or they'll be ridiculed or, or, or they'll be uh, described as something other than they are. So I get that. You will have backlash in your behavior, right? Even the most godly and virtuous, perhaps even the more. But we must be thoughtful about our behavior. Think on that, again, in the scene of the church. And I, I, I only put my thumb on the scales of the other day because it's so explicitly tied to evangelicals. So, so, so I just, I, I pivot there because I consider myself one. And so, so, it, so it's bothersome. To, to see um, a, a prophetic texts like Isaiah and Jeremiah march through the Capitol. It, 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 it's not cutting the right direction. Think on your behavior. Because again, uh, uh, direct my living, what I think, what I say, and what I do, that your name won't be blasphemed because of me, but it will always be honored and praised. The psalmist writes in Psalm 115, 1, he says, not to us, you know this psalm very well, but you're thinking about it in the ethos of your life, right? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, not, not to me, but to your name give glory. Not to me. This is the pursuit. One uh, uh, writer says, quote, this is the prayer of a wise and happy man. Exactly. The, the pursuit that you have each day for happiness. At varying levels and varying degrees and various pursuits, the pursuit of peace, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of wisdom. What could be my charge in that pursuit? The psalmist, not to me today, not to me, O oh Lord, not to me, but to your name. Give 
glory. I want to give you four simple things uh, uh, about how to do that. Right? Because we think, what would it mean to pursue God's glory in my life or to fill in, in, my, in my mode of the way that I behave tonight, tomorrow, in, in all of these complex things that I interact with in my own heart? If I want peace and wisdom and happiness, what can I do for the glory of God in fulfilling that? I'll give you four simple things, and you know them, but let me just outline quickly. Number one, confess sin and seek to hate it. That will bring you happiness. Mortification for happiness. It's hard work. It's yucky work. We all kind of hesitate on it. Pursue it. Confess it. Confess sin and seek to hate it. Number two, attend Lord's Day because God is worth it. We think, again, we're taking a huge concept like holiness, which we, we could go on for months on, months on, months on end, and defining just simply it in relation to God's essence, in relationship to our behaviors. God's glory is yet another one, yet we confess it's man's chief end is to pursue the glory of God and to enjoy him forever. These themes are enormous. We're trying to shrink it down and saying, what is something measurable and concrete that I could do in the context of seeking his glory and his names to be, uh, to be hallowed? What could I do? Number one, I could confess my sin and I could learn and grow to hate it. I could, number two, attend Lord's Day. Why? Because he is worth it. Number three, cultivate a prayer life. And, and again, all these things are active, right? Confessing is hard work. Attending is hard work cultivating is hard work so is the pilgrim's journey number three cultivate a prayer life and number four in your pursuit never forget to rest rest in the great truth of justification through faith alone in christ alone when we confess when we attend when we cultivate we are not being saved but indeed we are being sanctified our pursuit is one of rest and the great truths of justification through faith alone. Now let's consider more fundamentally what holiness is, if I could, just briefly. Verse 15 and 16, to reorient, we've walked through the name of God. It needs to be hallowed. It needs to be hallowed here in our church. It needs to be hallowed as the people of God, but our behavior as well. Verse 15 and 16, look at it real quickly. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Why? It's written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. First, think of it in general terms. Generally speaking, if you were to define holiness, think of it simply as this. It is underscore of the fundamental distinction between the creator and the creature. That's what it is, fundamentally. When you think, what, is, what does it mean that God is holy? It means that you are not him and he is not you. It is a fundamental distinction between the creator and the creature. In all of our understanding of God, he is majestic, he is glorious, he is beyond reproach. You are none of those things. We are none of those things. He is all of those things. He is qualitatively distinct from us. Again, Isaiah 46, 9, I'll simply quote for you in the creator-creature distinction is this. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Finally, and secondly, and finally, here our time in this morning regarding God's holiness. More particularly to 1 Peter, as it speaks of our own behavior, holiness describes God's ethical purity. His ethical purity. 
not simply his transcendence, course, but also his ethical purity in an absolute sense. God is, and this is something that is terrorizing, and yet in the gospel it is comforting. God is ethically opposed to sinners and to the sin which so easily clings to them. He is opposed to them. They are at war with him. Not only them and their being, but also their behaviors. Therefore, as children, those who say we are not opposed to God, we love him. As Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not even see him now, you believe in him. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. We'd say, we're those people, for better or for worse, in our own emotional roller coasters, ups and downs spiritually, in and out spiritually, we still, by grace, profess to be those people. Peter says, then as his children who profess to be those people who belong to him, pursue ethical and moral righteousness in all of your conduct. Pursue it. Pursue it. Finally, in conclusion, God chose us, as I uh, outlined for you uh, just earlier in chapter 1, verse 3. God chose us not because we were holy. And I know you know this, but remember it in your failures of progress in your sanctification where you're you're moving you're trucking and bam you're now not moving and trucking and then you're you're in and out in your relation to god your prayer life has a cloud hovering over it the the, the, the dynamic of the pilgrim's journey that everyone experiences remember god chose you not because you were holy what's that so that through the gospel by the power of the Spirit of Christ, he will make you holy. He will progress your life. He will provide fruit for you to enjoy. We walk through that in Galatians, Galatians 5. That fruit doesn't belong to you. It's the Spirit's fruit that he produces in you. You see, it's not only a call this morning for the pursuit of conduct. Don't forget in the text, it's also a statement of promise. Do you see how it works both directions? Read it. Um, you see the force of the grammar, verse 16. What, what is written? I shall be holy. For God is holy. You see, only in Christ, those who belong to him through faith, can God's holiness be for us a source of delight rather than singularly a source of fear and judgment. You belong to him, right, as a child, and then you hear the promise. You shall be holy. You will. Because... God your Father is holy. 
Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just strengthen us in uh, times of complexity and, and times of frustration, times of doubt. Civic unrest just seems to continue through 2020 and beginning to kick off 2021. And the church marred and, 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 and caught up at times in both directions of thoughtlessness and poor obedience, lack of love of you and neighbor. We just ask you to help us to be clear-headed, to, to be thoughtful about that your name would not be blasphemed because of our explicitly disobedient behavior, but that you would cause it by your grace, as you've promised, that we shall be holy, for you are holy, that you would fulfill that promise. As we pray then, hallowed God, be your name. And, and we pray that we would experience the joy and the pursuit of happiness with that. In your name we pray, amen. Give you just a moment.